Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Spirit of Horse. This week on the show, I have an amazing guest. You might know her from last season. We did an episode on creating a Liberty Ranch. It's Tara Davis. You might also know her as Unbridled Goddess on Instagram and online. Tara is an amazing Liberty horse trainer that I really, really admire. And today we are talking about her experience actually competing at a show while being a Liberty horse trainer and staying true to her own training methods and her own horsemanship. I'm really, really intrigued by this topic, so I'm excited to get into it. Um, how are you, by the way? I can't, you like moved your horses. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, it was, oh my gosh, it's, it's so cool. It's so cool. I can't even, oh my goodness. It's been such a trip to see like, I thought they were going to be kind of, like, ha- need some time to settle in and, like, be kind of, you know, wary of their surroundings and stuff. They just were, like, they as soon as they all got in there, they were, like, nope, we're home. Like, we're totally good. It was so great. Oh, my gosh. Are you going to do, like, a tour video? I hope you do. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> I really want to see it. It's... Yeah, my friend is supposed to come over and do a video. She has an awesome camera, so she's going to help me out. Yes, I can't wait. You're you're inspiring me so much. Oh, I'm so glad. How's your <laughs> ranch doing? Because you've got your ranch coming along too, huh? Yeah, it's uh, we should be moving in the next couple of weeks. So, oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, I I don't have all the fencing up yet by far. So I'm like trying to get that done so that they actually have a place to stay. Um, but I do have like these metal panels that even if I don't finish like the big pasture, the first pasture, I can at least like set up pens for them if we have to move Mm -hmm. and then like we can put up the fencing while they're in there and then let them go. One thing I really, really, really want to talk to you about is you like showed with your new Palomino, right? Is that what was going on? Yeah, I did. It was really cool. Oh my God. I want to talk about that so much just for me. Um, but also I think it'll be cool for the podcast for people to know that you can still like provide this kind of life for your horses and you can still respect and listen to them and do things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was like, I'm so glad you want to talk about that because I really wanted to talk about it more, but I ended up getting so caught up and like it took so much time to get ready for it and prep for it that I didn't end up being I wanted to do like a kind of a 30-day follow along and see and then be more you know document the show better but it was so good to just sink into the experience and feel it that I'm actually really glad I didn't but I'm really glad that you want to talk about it because there's so it was it was really interesting it changed a lot of my perspective too oh I am so excited um, okay, well, we're already rolling because I just I'm doing this thing now where instead of introducing you in the beginning, um, I just want to kind of like dive into the conversation because it makes people sure. some people less nervous. Um, yeah, it's really nice and organic. Yeah, and then I'll just like at the end cut and uh, introduce you. But cool. Um, yeah. So, can you tell me a little bit about like what you're doing, um, who this horse is, and how you decided to uh, mix your Liberty training with actually going out and showing. Sure. So, um, 
so Cricket is my partner's horse, uh, my partner Patrick, life partner should be a little bit more specific. I just like to use a neutral term. <laughs> but um, he he got her about a year and a half ago, and she is just such a sweet girl, has a really awesome um, training base on her. Um, the lady we got uh, Cricket from trained her as a youngster and brought her up, and we're, so we're her second home. Mm-hmm. And... Um, since she came to us, we've kind of been, you know, transitioning from a more traditional training style that was already, like, very gentle and very, um, I really liked the way she had been trained, you know, when it comes to a horse that's been trained with traditional methods, there are some that are, you know, better than others, in my opinion, and I think that, um, Cricket was trained really well, but we've been transitioning over to a more, liberty style mindset um call it hybrid liberty because it's it doesn't necessarily mean that your horses are at liberty but you can still maintain that mindset of being aware of your horse's needs and wants and desires taking their voice into accountability really giving them some more autonomy even so that when you know when they do have a saddle on and a um you know personally i use a bitless bridle but a bridle nonetheless they still have that feeling of they have a voice, they're going to be listened to, it's not force-based, et cetera. Um, so we've been kind of transitioning over to that, but I hadn't done a ton of work with her because she's not my personal horse. Um, but I've been drooling over working equitation as a sport. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's uh, originated kind of in Europe as a ranch versatility training style, like almost like a kind of a way to exhibit your horse's skills as a ranch horse. So there's a dressage section, there's a um, ease of handling section, which is um, an obstacle course that you have to perform um, in certain ways. You get judged on how you perform um, each obstacle. And then there's a speed phase, which is like the super fast you go as fast as you can through the obstacle course um and then there is also a cattle working uh section although there isn't a whole lot of that in the u.s um but it's starting to become more popular having that fourth phase as it's the sport's getting more established it's a very young sport over here um but yeah i'd been seeing that for so long and just i really liked that you could use whatever tack you wanted and you could be bitless that's like the first time i've ever that's the first time i've ever heard of a sport in the u.s that's uh you know has more of a dressage basis that you can be bitless in and so i was immediately drawn to it and then i've kind of been following it and i really love anything that gets the horse intrinsically motivated like going over obstacles and and navigating different things like that tends to be something that's, you know, more interesting and has the ability to get the horse way more involved than just like, you know, doing circles and practicing lead changes. Yeah. So, so I would just been dying to try it for so long. And then this amazing opportunity came up to travel up for a, a camp that's a, was a five or six day camp where all these amazing trainers from all over the world came and um, you had two lessons a day that you're able to do. And then at the end of the, the week long camp, there was a, th- a three day show 
where you got to kind of showcase everything. And wow. um, yeah, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it because I, I didn't feel like Drago was ready for it. Um, and then Patrick had the idea. He suggested that I take cricket and he really encouraged me to go do that. And he thought it would be a great opportunity for um, us to kind of develop a little bit more in the training for a specific goal mm-hmm. while still maintaining all the all the ideas that I have about, you know, the kind of like moral guidelines that I have set for myself for horses. And um, yeah, so long story short, I finally got to try this awesome sport and I absolutely fell in love with it. And um, yeah, it was, it was a blast. I really, really enjoyed it. That, that is so awesome. I, I feel like the mixing of like our our ethics around horses and going for a goal like that is actually harder um in many ways because you're having to balance so much and really like like I feel for me sometimes it's easier to be in black and white thinking of like this is good this is you know the idea of good and bad and like this is how I can stay safe with the horses and we'll just be over here doing our thing but to like kind of blur the lines and bring your ethics into, um, other training and other, other things to do with the horse. It inspires me so much to hear, uh, that you did that and how that was like for you. Yeah, it was, it was really awesome. It was, I totally agree with you on sometimes actually oftentimes it's so much easier when things are black and white. Like I had so vehemently steered away from showing, which I had done for my entire life up until, um, like six years ago or seven years ago or something. Mm-hmm. And I had so like ingrained in my mind, like that's so bad. Um, mostly because as a personally, when I was doing all those showing, you know, I allowed my, um, my competitive desire to win and to become better. I, I allowed that to, um, come before the welfare of my horses, um, you know, mental state. A lot of that was because I feel like I was uneducated, you know, not really knowing exactly uh, what my horse needed and how much I was taking away from him. But, uh, but yeah, it was a really interesting and really challenging opportunity for me to kind of challenge that within myself. Like, maybe the action of going and showing, exhibiting your horse's skills isn't the problem. It's the desire that comes with having the pressure of other people seeing you and the desire to win or the desire to, you know, be better than whatever it is, your last score, your last placing, the person that you really want to beat, whatever it is, that's really the issue and not necessarily the exhibition. Um, but also the tradition that's behind that exhibition showing, um, when it comes down to like, you have to have this kind of tack, you have to wear Mm -hmm. a bit, you have to, you know, your horse has to look a certain way, um, and you have to wear a certain thing that, uh, can, you can tend to get caught up in the like idea of looking classical and you have to wear a bit and your horse has to be on the, you know, on the bit and, and that's when the sacrifices start coming. That's when, yeah. 
okay, I really want to show, um, but I don't like using a bit, but I really want to show, so I'm going to use a bit, and then, you know, the, the snowball effect can happen. Um, but it really challenging myself to not allow myself to become competitive and really like sink down into the joy of being present with my horse and realizing what we can accomplish together. And also the pride that comes with when you finish the exhibition and you realize that you've done it without pressuring your horse unfairly, you've done it without pushing them past their limits it's like such an incredible feeling and it's like uh, it's so much better than any ribbon or you know trophy or or high point placing or whatever it was it was really amazing yeah i i feel like the intention is so important in this because i know even for me with um teaching let's say or like giving a clinic there can be more of a pressure there to perform because um, especially in the beginning when I first started, it was like there were expectations of what I needed to do and what the horses needed to do. And uh, yeah, letting those go ended up making it so that when I taught a clinic and you know I'm kind of expected to be doing a certain amount of things with the horses and have stuff to teach, letting go of the expectations allowed me to stay aligned with my uh, my beliefs and how I wanted to treat the horses but that was like a challenge you know to go from you know if I'm by myself and I don't have the pressure of people watching it's easier to treat my horses really really kindly because I'm not feeling the expectation of other people but learning how to teach in that environment allowed me to stay true to my horses and to myself you know in the face of some exterior pressures which I always found really, um, really helpful, like a really good lesson to learn. And yeah, it's, that's beautiful. it sounds like it's what, you know, you're doing. And I think it, the pressure is even harder when a lot of competitions do have the, you know, you have to be, a, have a bit and this is how you do it. And, um, people are watching, but I think to stay true to yourself, you know, within that and to choose your intention very, consciously and to say I'm not here because I want to impress other people I'm here because I am doing this with my horse and we're doing this together I think that is a really nice guiding light and something that probably takes a lot more effort in some ways but it sounds like for you uh, I really liked what you said with it's not about the exhibition like that's not the issue it's you know how we approach it Mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm really impressed yeah and for you to be able to stay you know true to your horse in that I'm this is where I, why I want to talk to you so much because I think that can be a very difficult thing and I'm wondering did you ever feel the pressure when you were there to um I don't know to just kind of veer off path from what you believe in or How did you handle those times where you might have felt a pressure otherwise if you weren't very clear with what you were doing? Yeah, it was really interesting, actually. It 
it was almost like really triggering for me, um, you know, to be back in that kind of environment. And I I did show a lot my whole life and I was very competitive. I competed internationally and I'm a competitive person. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I had a few moments where just like little thoughts would pop into my head where, you know, like, gosh, well, if we just like wore a snaffle for this dressage test, like it would be so much easier. And then I'm like, okay, it's not about ease and it's not about what the issue isn't that I need to escalate. It's that I need Mm -hmm. to deescalate and look at what's actually happening here and how I'm contributing to the issue and putting a bit on top of it or putting, um, you know, anything that's an escalation of pressure or like an escalation of your ask in that Mm -hmm. kind of way, um, that wasn't going to be the answer to it. And realizing, realizing that like, I really was very conscious of of that being the case or that being a possibility um, going into it because I know myself, I know how competitive I am. And I went into it saying, look, this isn't, we're not doing this as a competition. We're doing this as a learning experience. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if we have to scratch. It doesn't matter if we're just watching from the sidelines. It's totally fine. And so I was really aware whenever those kind of thoughts came into my mind and I addressed them and I really thought about them. And then I really thought about how I could personally fix whatever issue was causing me to have those thoughts so that um, it all went so much more fluidly. And if I had just like thrown a snaffle on and ridden in a snaffle, it would have, I, re- I, I know I wouldn't have actually done it because I felt so guilty even having those thoughts, but I, I just wouldn't, it wouldn't have had the same, um, the same joy of like realizing that it's, it's a team effort. It's not just me demanding things from her and her giving me something. It's really the whole point of exhibiting your horse, the whole point of showing what your horse and you can do is about learning from each experience and showing what you're capable of doing in the kindest way possible. And, um, you know, there are rules in place that say, like, there's, you know, there's so many rules in the show, you know, etiquette, uh, handbooks and, and the guidelines that are supposed to protect the horses from that competitive nature. But so sadly, they get overlooked so often because everyone knows it's about the money, it's about the placings, it's about, you know, all those things that have really taken um, the true heart of horse showing um, off the path that it, you know, the right path that it should be on, which should be about exhibiting the horse and the rider to their best ability with kindness and gentleness and I mean that's the whole point you don't you don't get extra points in dressage for being really heavy-handed they might overlook it but that's not the goal the goal is to be light and have a horse that's responsive and and the sad thing is that a lot of the training that goes into it behind the scenes is sets the horse up to appear responsive or appear light and and it's the issue is it tends to be the training that goes on behind the scenes. So it was really amazing to have a full week of training alongside, um, you know, all these fantastic teachers and um, trainers from all over the world before the show. And, um, you know, getting to, getting to, to experience and, um, you know, kind of bring 
my own little flair to to that preparation um, was was really eye opening. Uh, you know, I I was actually really impressed with a lot of the people in this sport because there was less of the you know the issues that we see in a lot of a lot of the sports where it tends to be the training that happens beforehand is the issue less than the train the actual showing of the horse. Um, and it was it was really interesting to see how a, a sport that's so young and doesn't quite have that uh, doesn't quite have the pressure that the big sports with all the big money and all that sort of stuff it doesn't have that uh, nuance to it yet. And it was really interesting to see how um, I think that was really heavily reflected in the people who participated and how they trained their horses. So um, that was a really interesting and eye-opening experience for me too. Yeah, that I find it also fascinating um, because I relate a lot to what you're saying about like having the thoughts of, oh, maybe if I just put a snaffle in, because I think there's there's so many ways those thoughts can come up um, mm-hmm. and in the kind of like quick fix, like address the symptom, escalate the pressure sort of way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if, having compassion for those thoughts, too, is so important because you know, I definitely, especially I think when people are watching, like when I'm teaching, um, you know, if the horse isn't responding, the thought of just, well, maybe if I just like asked a little bit more, you know, like if I just mm-hmm. escalated, if I brought in a tiny bit of pressure, the horse would probably do this right now. But then I realized, you know, pretty quickly, like that would kind of defeat the whole purpose of what I'm saying it would be going against what I'm actually teaching these people right now, which is to listen and to not escalate. And um, I think that's really um, one of the big issues, like you were saying, about competition and why, you know, a lot of us have kind of a really uh, negative view of it is that it feels like um, sort of like do anything to your horse, you know, kind of no matter the cost, as long as you look a certain way or as long as you win. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the prep ends up being really, really harsh to the horse because the intention is on the winning. So it's sort of just like, however you get there, it's okay. Or however you get there, we're just going to, um, we're going to kind of ignore it and say it's okay. And like, um, and that can start really small, I think, you know, it's, it doesn't take, much I don't think to go from well you know I'm just gonna add a little bit of pressure right now to later on being like you know we can do this whole test if I just you know put on the bit and hold it really heavy and like you know I just feel like it can get out of hand pretty quickly and and not really because people are bad or because people are mean or because people don't like their horses but because I think it's really natural to in some ways get swept up in that and having compassion for ourselves along with the horses and gently coming back to our intention. I, I feel like for me has been the key. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's so powerful. It is so easy to get swept away. That's such a good, that's such a good term for it because it really is being swept away a lot of the time. And the idea of, um, escalating not necessarily violence per se um although can you hear me 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> um, the idea of escalating the pressure or escalating um, the ask even, like, mm-hmm. actually, uh, the, the biggest moment that we had was, I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday, um, like, on the fourth or fifth day of the camp, and, um, you know, Cricket was like, it was hot, and she's very motivated to work, as in she wants to go and get the job done. She wants to, um, you know, if we're just standing around, she's like, okay, what can I do for you? Can I can I offer this thing to you? You know, can we do this? How about if I do this? Like, she really wants to engage, and then she wants to be done. That's how she is, mm-hmm. and I have total respect for that, because that's kind of how I am, too. Um but it was a little bit of a challenge for her and for me during the clinic. There was a lot of um, stopping and starting. You know, it's you're having a lesson with four or five other people, and um, you know you're doing a part of the exercise, and then you're waiting, and the other person's doing an exercise, and the other person's doing an exercise, and then it's your turn again. So there was a lot of stopping and starting, and by the last two days, she was really like frustrated by that she didn't want to start and stop she wanted to do mm-hmm. or be done that was it um, oh, I relate and so, to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I was feeling it too but she it was this last lesson on the fourth or fifth day and she was just like didn't want to do it didn't want to do it and I just I just kept asking like I didn't escalate but I just kept asking because I didn't want to I didn't want to tell the instructor hey, I think I need to bow out of this. Like, I didn't, I felt so pressured to um, just maintain this, like, calm facade of, like, everything's okay. Like, I can just keep asking. And it was, you know, gentle asks. Like, I wasn't escalating the pressure. I wasn't escalating the ask. I just kept asking. And I felt so horrible at the end of the session because I realized that I needed to be more true to myself and to my horse, knowing that, I should have said to that instructor, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, I appreciate your time, and I'm so grateful for this opportunity. But, um, look, I need to I need to just bow out of this. Like, I'm going to go take the horse for, for a walk and, and like, you know, de-escalate the frustration that's building between both of us. But I didn't do that because I felt like it would be rude of me to, you know, waste this person's time or whatever it was um, that, you know, was the underlying factor there um and by the end of it like it just didn't look pretty like it just wasn't a great fluid ride like it wasn't something I was proud of and at the end of it I felt so horrible knowing that I had allowed the pressure to sweep me away and I had you know kind of in this way like broken the trust that Cricket has in me of when she says I don't want to do this I'm going to say okay I respect that so that was a huge moment um, at the end. I like, you know, went and untacked her and took her for a walk and like cried a little and was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was a really powerful moment for me to be like, this is, that was my fault. This is my problem. I put my horse into a situation where she was not comfortable and frustrated and I didn't respect that that was the case. And I just kept asking. And she didn't escalate. She didn't get really frustrated. Like, she was frustrated, but she didn't get angry. 
but it was a bad feeling inside to realize that I had been swept away. And that was actually really great that it happened at the end of the week. And I was able to, before the competition, really have that huge wake up call of, you know, if the horse doesn't, if my horse is telling me, no, I have to listen to her. If I want to do this, if I want to be a part of any sort of exhibiting or clinicking or showing or, or like taking the lessons anywhere, like I have to be willing to use my voice to stand up for her voice. I have to be her voice. I can't take advantage of her silence. And that was so, so huge realizing that before, before we actually did any competition. And it changed how our dynamic, like it, it really changed our dynamic. Um, you know, the next day I spent the day really listening to her and I gave her every opportunity to use her voice. And whenever she list, whenever she spoke out, I listened and I think she felt really heard. And that was a huge part of why I think we did so well. I think if I had continued to push her, not listen to her, then it would have continued to escalate and she would have gotten angry. She would have gotten really frustrated. And it was really interesting for me as someone who has in the past not listened to my horse's clear nose and continued to push through them. Um, it's been interesting to realize that like my failures in the past where, you know, when you're continuing to push through when a horse is saying that they clearly don't want to participate, it never ends pretty. Like you're not going to end up with a good score. You're not going to end up having a good clear test or a clear, you know, show jumping round or whatever it is. And so it was so powerful to me to realize that honoring my horse actually made us compete better. It made us be a better team and it made us be able to, you know, go through with integrity, but also go through without that kind of tension and dis-ease that, um, you know, kind of tends to be so, so present and prevalent in the showing community where there's so much tension whenever, you know, people enter the ring. It allowed me to kind of go into the arena. Each time I went in to compete, it allowed me to have this, like, feeling of, like, I'm doing whatever she wants to do. Like, we're doing this as a team, and if she doesn't want to do it, like, I will walk out of this arena right now and, you know, salute, tell them I'm sorry, like, I have to go. And having that mindset, it went so much more fluidly than if I had tried to, like, continue to have that little, like, tiny battle with her. It, I mean, it's not a battle that anyone else would have seen, but it would have shown in, in you know, the relaxation and, and our ability to, to, you know, do the maneuvers and everything like that. So that was a huge learning opportunity for me and emotionally as well um, to realize that I had to, if I wanted to participate in this way, I had to really be willing to stand up for what I believed in and um, not allow the external pressure to kind of change my, my moral compass. Ah, oh, man, that is so beautiful to me because I, I, I so know the feeling of being like when you were describing waiting and just asking over and over, you know, just because you're worried about the not being polite or, you know, um, 
yeah, like wasting someone's time sometimes comes to my head or, you know, all these different things that we worry about when we're um, more focused on that and not listening to the horse or honoring what she's saying. I just relate to that feeling so much. And I feel like that is actually a really common feeling among equestrians that we kind of learn to suppress because we're more focused on, you know, being respectful in the to the instructor or to, you know, coming off that everything's calm and cool and collected. But I think that everything you just said is the key, like the absolute key to being able to stay true to your horse and to your ethics while, you know, challenging yourself to go and do the something like competition or an exhibition. Mm. It's like the number one thing because that's where we yeah, get swept away and, um, lose sight of why we're really there. And it can be so easy to do, but, um, yeah, I feel like your realization and the knowing that you're going to listen to the horse, oh, sorry, um, that you're going to listen to the horse, you know, above all else. And you're going to, uh, measure the, success sorry I'm sorry everyone my phone's going off it's coming through my computer and I don't know how to turn it off um (laughs) (laughs) uh you know what it also makes me think of um is how we actually do this to ourselves a lot I've been thinking about um the ways that we subtly betray ourselves in situations where we feel pressured Um, You know, we might be out with a certain group of people and we don't want to be there or we want to leave the arena. We want to go home. And we kind of put that aside. We put our own needs aside in order to make other people feel more comfortable or to come off as polite. You know, I am so sorry. I don't know how to turn that off. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I think the idea... You can't, (laughs) it probably will come through the recording. Um, But that whole idea of kind of acting to please other people or to um, not rock the boat in some way, I think keeps us from honoring ourselves a lot of the time. And, And we kind of dampen our own voice and our own needs and disregard ourselves in the same way that it can be easy to disregard the horse. And I think... For me, the more I've um, stood up for myself and the more that I've said, you know, it's okay if I say no to something. It's okay if I um, leave, if I'm not feeling good about a situation. It's okay if I disappoint someone else in order to honor myself and where I'm really at. I think it's become easier to do the same for the horses and the same way, like when we practice that with the horses, it becomes easier to do it for ourselves. And ultimately, I feel like that's one of the biggest lessons. And one of the greatest things you could take home from a competition is the courage it takes to stand up for your horse and stand up for yourself. Um, Even in just these little ways where, you know, no one's like attacking you, but just the idea of, um, of putting your own needs first or putting the horse's needs first, I think is such a beautiful thing and such almost like 
one of the reasons for going to a competition and practicing this because it's mm-hmm. such a vital lesson and it's such it's something that like you know I don't feel uh like I still feel like that's such a relevant lesson for myself you know I don't have it perfected in any way not that anyone can really perfect you know I don't like that word but um I think progress. I keep coming back to it. progress yes keep coming back to it and it's it's really um just like a huge thing to learn in life in general especially as women I mean you know it's something that a large percentage of the horse world are women and we're kind of taught to like you know bite our tongue and be polite like yes. don't you know, it's a little bit of a, like, lingering over, like, don't speak unless spoken to kind of attitude where, um, you know, we are so caught up in not offending somebody or, you know, and I totally, I totally respect the idea of, like, honoring the people who are teaching you, like, being respectful. But if those people are teaching you something that goes against your beliefs that you feel very strongly about, I absolutely think that is your right and your responsibility to yourself to politely and gently say your truth. And that's, that's the, that's the, I think the, the key thing at the heart of it is like sticking to your truth and not allowing somebody else or pressure of something else to sway your truth. But, um, I do think it's really, uh, I do think it's really hard as women in a society that kind of subtly teaches us or not so subtly teaches us to, um, you know, be quiet, be polite, uh, meek, um, you know, always staying cool and collected and, and, you know, never being upset or bothered, that kind of thing. Um, But, you know, another aspect of that too, something that you were saying the idea of never wanting to disappoint somebody um, and feeling the pressure to do something because you don't want to disappoint them. I also feel that so strongly in when it comes to working with the horses as well, when it's, I sometimes feel so pressured that like I have to do, you know, X amount of trainings per week with my horses. Otherwise like I'm letting them down or I'm, you know, wasting their talent or all these things. And like, sometimes I go out there when I'm exhausted and so depleted internally and I'll think like okay well no I have to go work on this thing with these horses I have to go you know allow them to play and allow them to play with me and be so present with them so that they can you know so that we can work on whatever it is we're working on that day and it never goes according to plan because I'm depleted and tired and not able to be fully present And I think that's been a huge thing for me to learn Um, just in the past, like two years has been learning, like learning to say no to even things that we love or things we feel responsibility to sometimes um, saying no to that and just being, just going and being quiet and replenishing yourself with those things. Like, you know, with the horses, if I'm feeling that way, instead of going and working with them, maybe I'll just go and like hang out with them and charge myself and, they always understand like they're never mad at me for not training them that day and um, that was also huge in preparing for the competition I felt so much pressure to um, like be there a certain amount of times per week to work with her and I never got that time because I was never got the time that I 
I projected onto myself that I needed because I've been, you know, working so much on building the ranch and, um, you know, building the house and all these crazy things that are happening in my life. So it was, uh, it was also a good lesson in just, you can only give as much as you have to give. Like you can't, you can't run yourself ragged trying to um, do something that you don't have within yourself to give. And it's, what you can give is going to be enough. And if you try and push yourself too hard, sometimes the result isn't beneficial. So just learning to speak my own truth in myself, as well as speaking up for my horse's truth and the truth that I feel when it comes to my horses, then uh, that's, that's also been a, a good learning challenge experience, all the things, all the experiences, all the things. <laughs> I, I relate to that a lot, especially the idea of um, like getting out a certain amount of time in the week to like train the horses. And that pressure for me in the past has like sent me into guilt spirals that just make for nothing positive and actually keep me really stagnant. Mm-hmm. I am so grateful for you sharing this this story and and your experience on this because I feel like it that's the thing where it's like so much easier to kind of be at home and and speak your truth you know because there's not the challenge of the exterior world you know asking you to stand up for it and I feel like what you did going into the competition is standing up for it and putting yourself in a position where you know you're going to have to stand a little taller and speak louder, you know, against some resistance. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, you're, I feel like it was just such a courageous and um, amazing thing for you to do. I'm also Thank really... Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I have like, I have so many questions for you too. And um, I'm curious how you, because you use positive reinforcement, for a lot of your training, yes. Mm-hmm. So I loved, you yes, know, with this um, competition, you don't have to use a bit. That's also fantastic because that usually limits so many people who want to, um, who want to enter bitless. But how did you balance using positive reinforcement and going into the arena and competing? Because I feel like that's a place where <laughs> people don't know necessarily how to, um, to combine the two or to, uh, yeah, to make like some sort of blend. So how did you blend that? Sure. Well, um, you know, my kind of, my way of training isn't necessarily, um, strictly one thing or another, you know, when it comes to positive reinforcement, I do a lot of positive reinforcement. Um, but you also, I also like to, you know, wean them off of it. Once, once they understand what I'm asking them to do, then, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a constant, uh, really obvious reinforcement. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's, it's little small things where they understand that I'm saying, you know, when I'm saying, you know, you're doing a good job halfway through the co- the course, they're understanding that that's the positive reinforcement. And at the end of it, it's, you know, lots of pets and scratches and hugs and treats and all sorts of stuff like that. But, um, yeah, th- there's like this kind of conception, misconception that 
um, you know, you have to be like feeding your horse a treat to make it go every, you know, 30 seconds or so. Yeah. But um, it's your horse, once you establish the idea of them participating freely, and once you establish something that they understand really well, so like, you know, ridden work, walk, trot, canter, once you've established the understanding that when you ask and they do something that's that's good, they a lot of times um, the positive reinforcement actually comes from their own joy from working in in harmony with some with yourself actually. So um, you know it's kind of a fine line, and that kind of that argument can be used for so many uh, negatives. You know, I hear a lot of like, well you know, my horse really enjoys its job. I hear that a lot, but, um, you know, trying to really get to the, um, the root of, of understanding with a horse so that your horse is truly understanding what you're asking them and understanding that they can say no at any time. And when that happens, then, you know, you can do a, a full dressage test or a full obstacle course. And, uh, the horse has the opportunity to say no at any time and it's almost like giving them that opportunity to say no at any time it encourages them to say yes once they've realized that deeply mm-hmm. so but when you are going into something like a competition with a horse that is trained in positive reinforcement and also has the ability to say no you have to go into it with the open mind and understanding that there is absolutely a possibility that the horse is going to say nope right in the middle of that dressage test or that obstacle course and that's a reality um just like it's a reality with any kind of training that your horse is just going to say no i don't want to do this right now it's just that when you have the kind of mindset that we have you should respect it whereas you know another kind of training might say apply more pressure apply more force um you know punish any of those Mm -hmm. kinds of things and then they might you know the horse might say okay well i don't want to fight anymore i want to just get this over with but in the case of positive reinforcement we work a lot on um you know preparing through the obstacles and seeing each obstacle as a um as a challenge that they can enjoy and when they're when they complete that challenge, that's intrinsically motivating for them. And they also, you know, a lot of it's back training. Like I did a lot of exposing them to exposing cricket specifically to like the garocha pole is this big pole that you have to pull out of a barrel and you have to hold it and, you know, quote unquote, spear the bull. You have to pick the ring up and then put the, this big pole back into a barrel at the end of it. And I spent a lot of time on the ground walking up to the barrel, picking up the pole and reinforcing that, that that's a great thing. That's, you know, this is, you get a cookie after it, you get a treat, you get scratches, you get to relax, you get to hang out, whatever it was that she was wanting that during that moment. Um, we, I tried to really reinforce each obstacle as being a positive thing so that when we string them all together, it's something that she really enjoys doing because she associates it with a positive experience. Yes, I I really love that. And I can see how that, you know, that would work really well. And I think that is like a common misconception that you have to be rewarding all the time. 
um, mm-hmm. and kind of like letting it um, and that making it very choppy versus that's how you learn. And then you get to a point where things are more fluid. Um, Absolutely. It's like any sort of training. Like if you're, you know, if you're learning how to do flying changes, you're going to be practicing your flying changes. You're not just going to like go do a whole test with flying changes in it. You have to learn each element. And in I think in positive reinforcement, it gives you the opportunity to really break down all the elements of whatever it is you're going to be doing and really work on solidifying each element and only progressing when that element is so secure and so solid that you know that you don't have to be rewarding with treats. And when the horse is, um, the the reason why I particularly like um, not sticking so consistently to like a clicker training Mm -hmm. is because I, I like to use my voice. I like to have my energy and my body language also be a part of the reward so that when I'm not necessarily using treats, when I'm not using physical scratches, I can use my energy and I can use my voice as like a continuation reward where they're understanding that I'm praising them and they're going to move on to the next object and do that. And there's not going to be that choppy halt in between where I have to stop, give them a treat, and then we proceed or stop and give them some scratches and then we proceed. It's, it becomes more fluid over time. And, uh, yeah, it's so much, it's like any other training. It's just different than, um, it looks so much different than other training that people don't really understand. I think sometimes it's not like insert cookie to make the horse go every 30 seconds. You have to give the cookie or something like that. Right. And that in the beginning, you know, if you're rewarding a lot more and you're like, giving treats or you're giving scratches consistently in the beginning, that's part of the learning process. And, you know, hopefully if you're, you know, going to go do this test, you've learned, like you said, all the pieces already. So now it's more about, um, like the understanding is there. So it shouldn't be so much like this is something new the first time we're going out into the arena. Um, but more of a question of does the horse want to engage because they already know what to do but do they want to? And I think it was, yeah, absolutely. sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> oh, I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> I like what you said too about, you know, the difference is the possibility that you might get a no. And, you know, in any training, there's a huge possibility, equal, I guess, just equal, I should say, possibility, if you're really listening to the horse, that you'll get a no. But it's what you do with that that I think really defines your horsemanship style because it is so true usually the response in traditional horsemanship is you get a no from the horse and you escalate or you push through it and you make them do it anyway and I think that's where the real breaking of the spirit happens because Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're they're basically learning that they don't have a choice and they don't have a voice and I think that that's what breaks someone down. But, you know, to go into competition and to know that if you get a no, you're going to respect it. I feel like that's where what you were saying with your experience um, with the training right before the competition um, that we talked about, where, you know, you were waiting and she and you just kept asking um, and you and you kind of dedicated to her or re um, solidified your uh, you're knowing that if she said no, that you're going to listen. Um, that to me 
feels like the key. And if you're if you're gauging your success in competition and the way that I feel like you were doing, not by uh, you know what ribbons you come out with, but rather how connected you are to your horse. If a horse does say no in the middle of the competition, and you have to say, "Sorry, we're leaving," you know, I ha- we have to go. <laughs> That ends up being one of the biggest um, like successes because you're you're faced with a really hard challenge of will I listen to my horse? And if you do, you know, if that's your your gauge of success, I would say you've just like super succeeded. You know, it might not have been totally. the result you wanted, but you were given this challenge that was especially hard emotionally and, and you listened. And I feel like that ultimately, you know, in the moment you might feel embarrassed, but later would be something you could really hold on to with pride that, you know, I listened to my horse, even in this really high pressure situation for me. Absolutely. Yeah. If that happens, call me up. I'll give you a ribbon. You deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I will like, I feel like that would be so hard and I would, I will, yeah, throw flowers at the pe- at the people who <laughs> go and do that. And yeah, exactly. And sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. <laughs> I'm so excited! That's such a great idea. <laughs> um, but the the other thing I wanted to say, like right alongside that, is it's you have to be fair to your horse in that you have to set them up for success. If you mm-hmm. want, like, if you want to not have to go. If you want to not have to uh, have them say no all the time, you have to set them up for success. If you go into a situation they're completely unprepared for or you've only halfway trained for, that is on you. And you have to know that like, you can't just push them through it because you didn't prepare them correctly. That's on you. You didn't prepare them. You need to be willing to accept that. And, <laughs> you know. And, and that's okay, too. And if you do, that's totally fine. And yeah, I'll give you a ribbon for it. That's you absolutely deserve it. If you if you're willing to listen to it, or if you're willing to um, you know put yourself out there and like I'm going to be taking Drago to a, a little schooling show, and you can bet yourself that I'm going to have a treat container on my hip and I'm going to be positively reinforcing him with treats whenever he does something right because this is it's a schooling show for him and yeah it might be embarrassing and might get some funny looks. But that's part of it. It's part of standing up for your horse and like knowing your truth. And, and you can feel proud for sticking up for yourself and sticking up for your beliefs. And most likely there's going to be someone who comes up to you. Like this happened so many times throughout the week at the um, camp. Someone's going to come up to you and be like, that's really cool. What are you doing? Can I ask you about that? And, and it gives you an opportunity to talk about something other than traditional horsemanship and maybe that's going to change some people's minds and change some horses lives and that's totally worth a little bit of embarrassment (laughs) yeah you know what's interesting with that too because I think about you know if you're going to a schooling show and you're you have the treats on you and you're training like you would for practice and for you know building up and really learning something new it's such an interesting reflection of how the horse wheel world feels about 
training and about how we work with our horses because there are I'm certain like other people at the show who are using other tools that you might not use when you're all finished with training but maybe you know they're holding a crop and they're using a certain type of bit and they're using all these different you know pressures that maybe their goal is at the end to not have to use them but they're perfectly accepted as a as a way of schooling you know and they're perfectly accepted as um like gateways to get there as long as it's pressure but as soon as you talk about rewarding a horse or giving a horse something good then people start feeling uncomfortable and I think that's Mm -hmm. such an interesting reflection for us to really ask ourselves why do we feel comfortable you know adding the pressure and having that be part of the training and holding extra tools for that but when it comes to doing something that the horse enjoys or rewarding them in some way we get uncomfortable and um yeah, I think that's one of the big things for us to kind of ask ourselves as equestrians. Yeah, why is it that we become so uncomfortable? And, you know, you see it in people too, where I, you know, in business, when sometimes I'll suggest to people, oh, if you're having problems with, you know, an employee or there's some, you know, maybe try like encouraging them for like every little try. And they're like, well, why would I do that? Uh, you know that that'll give them the wrong idea or they'll feel too full of themselves or or all these different things and it, it's so similar to like all the responses that you get in in regards to like treat training or positive reinforcement training in the horse world where it's like we have this kind of fear of like of giving too much I don't know exactly what it is but it's this little fear of being too positive (laughs) like well then you're gonna get the wrong idea then you're gonna then you're gonna take advantage of me and it's kind of like I think it's fear-based um and I'm not sure exactly what it is but it's it's really interesting how it it comes off in in people too you know child rearing and business management and all those kind of things people tend to steer away from like the you know you're not gonna like call up your employee and be like I really loved how you worked so hard on this really small, you know, tasks that I gave you. And I'm really proud of you for doing that. And people won't do that. But maybe if more bosses did that, then their employees would work harder. And there's actual like studies that show that that is the case, um, that it works that way, that it actually improves. um, it, It encourages people. You know what that actually makes me think of, and this is kind of like off topic, but it totally reminds me of of what you just said, is I kind of like have been getting into this kind of like relationship with a person and um, I had this moment where I really wanted to compliment them and I really wanted to like say some really nice things to them about them. And I felt this resistance in me of basically saying like, well, you don't want to build them up too much. Like you don't want to like give them a big head. And I was like, whoa, like that is a weird thing to think. And I, I just like very kindly with myself, like examined, like, why, why did that thought pop up? Why did I have this like worry about if I say these nice things, it's going to build them up too much or something. And I, you know, came to the realization that first of all, I want to be the type of person that does build others up and you know despite how this relationship goes 
that's who I want to be. And it's my fear that is keeping me from from doing that because for some reason if I think, you know, if this person is like built up, am I afraid they're going to not want to be around? Am I afraid they're going to, you know, get like a big head and go do something else? Uh, all these thoughts are like so fear-based. And I think it, you know, it works with horses and with em- employees or with any relationship in your life kind of in the same way. And I asked myself, like, what am I really fearful of here? And then I came to the realization that, you know, whatever relationship I'm in, whatever, you know, with whoever it is, whether it's friendship or romantic or parent or child or whatever, um, you know, I, I want it to be a place where I'm not afraid to build them up. And I want it to be a place where I do build them up and they build me up. And it's not about keeping people in their place or, you know, down to size, but rather something that's deeply nourishing and um, elevates everyone. Because there's that fear that, you know, if we elevate someone else, it means that we get diminished. And, and I don't think that's the case when you're when you truly are elevating other people, you elevate yourself in the same way. And I forget exactly how this relates back to horses, but I do feel like it's the same for horses. <laughs> that is so beautiful. I'm in tears right now. That is that is so beautiful. I feel like you just got really down to the essence of it and believing that we are worthy of we are worthy of being in the presence of the people we want to build up. We are worthy no one's going to leave us behind. We're not too small and we shouldn't try and keep others small just because we feel small. Like we all are so worthy of all the love and all the compliments and all the constructive criticisms and all of the building up and collaboration and community. We're all so deserving of that. So that's, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. We are. I, I think like what you just said, like we're deserving of it too in the sense that we're deserving of building ourselves up. And I think that is kind of the key here. Like even like we were talking about um, speaking up for your horse, speaking up for yourself, you know, is a way of building yourself up and respecting yourself. And I do really feel that the more we give that to ourselves, the easier it is to give it to others, whether it's your horse Mm -hmm. or your partner or you know, family members. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that, um, I feel, I've been feeling really strongly is like it all, uh, starts within ourselves. Like all of these things that we want to give to our horses, whether it's people who are wanting to better their horses lives, um, you know, in the way they're, they're kept their living situation, better their horses lives through, um, a more enriched, a training environment, positive reinforcement, um, a more loving connection, all these things, like, it really starts within, too. Like, if you want to give that to somebody else, like a horse or a child or your partner or a friend, it really comes from within. Like, if you want to enrich someone else's life, try and enrich your life as well. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you can give so much more from from that place of, of fulfilledness I think we actually talked about that um, on the last time we spoke too about really like fulfilling yourself and then that in turn fulfills others as well too yeah I think we did talk about that and I love it I think that it's such 
it's so important. And and I love talking to you about these things because I feel like you, you, you are that. I don't know. I feel oh. like it's so, it's <laughs> <Thank> so <you. laughs> inspiring to I talk. I try. I, I need to work on loving myself more too, giving myself some more. I always joke with my partner. I'm like, if only I was willing to spend the amount of money and time and effort on like properly giving myself the right nutrition, the right chiropractic care, you know, yeah. all the stuff where I'm like, I will sign my horse up for any energy practitioner, you know, chiropractic, stretching work, all that sort of stuff. Like I'm throwing my money at them all day long. But when it comes to myself, I'm like, oh, no, I'm fine. Oh, no, I'm (laughs) (laughs) But it really does. We got to work on loving ourselves just as much as we love others. And it gives us a deeper well from which to pull from um, when it comes to others. And, uh, yeah, I think – pulling that right around back to exhibiting and showing, um, you know, it's as much of a challenge for ourselves as it is for our horses and maybe kind of to challenge other people. If anybody is in the showing world, maybe next time, instead of seeing what there is to work on for your horse, see what within yourself you can work on next time you're at a show or next time you're at a clinic see what within yourself needs to be worked on and loved on and given attention and see how that changes. If it does change anything, please let me know. I love that. Cause you know, I I haven't done competitions in a really long time, but what that makes me think of is if I was to like go back to the time where I did competitions and I was to follow that advice you just gave and um, honor myself and add extra love there I think there were there were things I would not have engaged in you know things that maybe I told I was told I had to do that I didn't actually want to do and giving myself like real love in that situation would have been to not work with that one trainer or not you know do that one thing I didn't like and I think that would have been really really nice to feel like I had permission to honor myself in that way that's so powerful thank you so much for sharing a little bit about this experience I'm uh I like I don't know I feel um so curious about how this is going to continue to go for you and I'm really eager to uh, watch on Instagram and hopefully just talk to you more about, um, how this is. Um, yeah, I'm really excited too. I don't know where it's going to take me. Um, you know, I don't know how active I'm going to be in it, but I would love to see where it can take me and the horses. And I don't know, I just think it feels like a really cool opportunity to show the world what's possible. Mm -hmm. And, I feel like I feel called to that challenge right now. So, um, you know, things always change, but right now I'm feeling pretty called to it. And as long as I can stay um, aware and conscious of myself and stay true to myself and stay true to my horses, then I'm, I'm really excited to go down this path. I think it's, you're right that this is something that's very needed and I think will be in important for a lot of people to see and, um, to kind of give them hope that this is 
something that's possible. I think the last... Yeah, totally. <laughs> the kind of last thought I kind of... I, I have on it um, is something about rigidity, which I think we might have talked a little bit about last time. Um, but it's really interesting how this has been coming up in my life because I think, you know, when I first started with positive reinforcement and I first started liberty training um, in such a different way, my thought around competitions was very rigid. It was very competitions are bad and um, there's a lot of horse abuse and I'm sticking far, far away from that because that's, um, that's bad. Basically, it was just my, my mindset was like, that's bad, that's bad. And um, that was a very rigid thought. Like, I very much understand why I felt that way. But, and you know, and there's still definitely pieces of the competition that I don't like and I don't support. But yeah. as a whole, to have the rigidity around, you know, good or bad, I think limits how much compassion we can have and and you know to to see you doing this and to feel more open to the possibility that you can move through an experience like this without labeling good and bad and rather with um, guided by compassion and guided by your values and guided by intention feels like a much more fluid way to live and a much um, a much better way for me to also view equestrians and view mm -hmm. other people and myself, you know, with my own urges to want to, you know, do different things with horses. And I think overall, it's just like a softening into, into your own compassion and into your own values that ultimately makes you stand stronger, like in the way that you had to stand strong to be the voice for your horse, but also um, allows you to just soften into life a little bit more. That's a really beautiful insight. Yeah. I, I also think too that it's important to, if you can, if you have the emotional availability to go out there and be that person of compassion and be an example in the world. I think that's, it's something that like when you are sensitive and when you're, when you feel drawn to be, um, you know, separate yourself from those kinds of situations where you don't want to feel the pressure to like do something bad or you don't want to feel that, that way or that competitiveness and all that. When we walk away from that, um, if we just leave that space to all the people who don't mind, then there's no way we're going to change. And so I think um, if you have the ability to be present and be um, use your platform, use your presence to, um, to spread awareness of just another way of being, whether it's just being really compassionate um, or whether you're trying to change the world or change the style of horse training, then I think it's really worthwhile to... Um, to try and put yourself out there. It can be kind of hard and kind of scary. And sometimes people are going to tell you you're doing it wrong, but um, just like have faith in yourself and, and know that 
if you're doing it for the right reasons, it's always going to be a success. Which is also a great, um, a great reminder to check in with your intention before going in. Cause <laughs> I think that, that is also one of the biggest things for, um, you know, in those inevitable moments of kind of trying where a, a situation tries your values, having your intention really clear gives you something to hold on to. Yeah, definitely. That's so powerful. Well, thank you so, so much for being on. I, I love talking to you. It's so fun. Um, Likewise. Oh, one last question. <laughs> Sorry, I keep going on with this, but did um, Cricket say no? Or how, how was the competition? How did it go? She said yes so vehemently, and it was so wonderful. Um, it went really well. It was one of those situations where um, in my mind, I'm like, I know if I just pushed her a little harder, it would have been better, but I didn't, and it went really well. And I actually think that if I had pushed her harder, it wouldn't have gone well. So um, that was a great learning experience. And she did so well, and we did really well together. And, um, yeah, we actually ended up placing fourth. Um, wow. And it was, like, the biggest uh, working equitation competition in America. So wow. I'm pretty proud of her. <laughs> <laughs> she kicked butt, and she totally – we had fun with it. I think that was, like, she went in having fun. I went in having fun. And we left – every time we left the arena – it was with big smiles and like just this feeling of like we just did something super fun together and that was beautiful. And that's the biggest success. Success. <laughs> that's the biggest. Yeah. That, that is absolutely wonderful. I am so excited for you guys. So thank you. If people want to find you and they wanna they wanna see a little bit about this and just overall see you and your horses and your training, where can they look you up? You can find me on Instagram at Unbridled Goddess and on Facebook. Uh, my Facebook page is also Unbridled Goddess, and I have a website at unbridledgoddess.com. And um, yeah, find me on any of those. You can send me an email, tara at unbridledgoddess.com, and that's usually the best way to get in contact with me if you want a response because my DMs and my message, uh, private messengers, are all pretty full. <laughs> all the links will also be in the show notes so if you guys just want to click on over i definitely think you should do it well again thank you so much for being on and thank you everyone for listening i really appreciate everyone who comes in every week and listens to these passion project of mine i love it so much and yeah i will see you guys all next week mm-hmm.